Nightlife with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. Well, Sydney World Pride has started and will run through to March the 5th. And this coming Saturday night, the famed Mardi Gras parade will be on. Returning to Sydney's Oxford Street after it was held at the cricket ground for the past two years because of COVID concerns. The parade is the biggest event of the festival. It'll feature 12,500 marches, at least, and over 200 floats. It's been going since 1978 and is now the longest-running, continuous LGBTQIQA plus rights march in the world. That's something, isn't it? Earlier this month, the key roads that have forged the path of the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras were recognised by the New South Wales government for their state significance. The 2.4-kilometre heritage-listed route includes parts of Oxford Street, Flinders Street, Anzac Parade and Darlinghurst Road, as well as the Darlinghurst Police Station. Now, that location was where, on June the 24th, 1978, many from the group of gay and lesbian people operating as the Gay Solidarity Group who'd staged a day of events in Sydney, including a parade at night, ended up their arrests and the violent police response to the parade drew national attention and helped to establish the parade as an annual event. Dr Lee Boucher is an historian with Macquarie University. He's currently writing a history of the marches four to five continuous years, and he joins us uh, now. Lee, good evening. Welcome to Nightlife. It's lovely to be with you. Yeah, that first march. How did it start? What were its aims? Was it planned at all? It was quite carefully planned, actually. Um, In fact, they had police permission for the march. Mm. So it happens that first year on the 10th anniversary of the Stonewall riots um, Mm -hmm. in the US, and it's declared a day of international solidarity um, for gay and, gay and lesbian movements across the world. So mm-hmm. Sydney's not the only place that's having some kind of event to commemorate those riots. Mm-hmm. And there's been a day of kind of conferences, get-togethers, talks. There's actually been an earlier protest. Um, and this evening kind of brings a day of commemoration and engagement around Stonewall to a close. And mm-hmm. so they plan to parade in kind of a fun carnivalesque atmosphere down Oxford Street. They were actually going to continue on, and but um, the police stopped them. Um, so well, it's, why did the police stop them? What, what, that what? is a mystery to many did, people. So they in because fact, they had police permission. They had permission to they had permission to conduct the parade. Right. Um, and so when they got to Hyde Park, the um, uh, they were very surprised to find the police asking them to disperse. Right. Um, and so rather than dispersing, they chucked a right down College Street, then walked back up Williams, back up to Darlinghurst Road, where they confronted the police again. Right. Um, and that's where the kind of violence and riot ensued, leading to the arrest of what we now call the 78ers. Um, and that's, you know, it, it becomes, a, you know, it was always going to be an important event, but it's partly the police response that means it becomes such an historically significant event. Yeah. Yeah, did we ever get to the bottom of it as, as to what the police thought they were doing? Um, look, I don't know the answer to that question. Other people may. Because mm. um, it's not as though anyone was breaking windows or... or no, I no, mean, but of course, um, sex between men is illegal in New South Wales at that point It's still. actually is a crime at yeah, some, that stage, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's still yeah. a crime. And relationships between the police and the gay and lesbian community are very fractious. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of animosity. Um, in the late 70s. And in fact, police persecution um, is one of the prime targets for the parade. They're marching with banners and um, chants that say, stop police, on t- stop, police on ta- stop police attacks on blacks, women and gays. Um, so the police are front and centre of the kind of 
imaginaries and minds of the protesters, and that's because the police are persecuting them, they are um, arresting them for those crimes, but also not providing a safe environment when they're being the victim of homophobic violence in other ways as well. Mm. They're known as the 78ers, as mm-hmm. you say, <laughs> and it becomes a thing, doesn't it? It does. Um, it becomes a thing which even has its own songs. Tell me about the Tom Robinson band, uh, Sing If You're Gay. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, and when they are marching or parading or dancing, they're actually, you know, they're, they're kind of moving. I think probably the best word is moving because they're moving mm. in lots of different ways mm. um, down Oxford Street. Um, this song is blaring from the speakers of a truck that's um, accompanying them and everybody's joining in the chorus, mm. which has the words, sing if you're glad to be gay. Mm. And, and the song opens, it's, it's a British song. It opens with a, a kind of... Um, account of police persecution and then a response of what we might now call a kind of assertion of gay pride. Okay, let's listen. This song is dedicated to to the World Health Organization. It's a medical song and it concerns a disease whose classification according to the International Classification of Diseases is 302.0. <laughs> and it's also, it's a great song because I think, you know, when we think of the Mardi Gras parade and perhaps of kind of queer politics and social mm. life in general, we think of disco, we think of house music with thumping bass, mm. we think of everyone dancing around in a street to that kind of music. But actually for these activists in the 70s, this was the kind of music that more appropriately and adequately represented their politics, mm. and it had a, a really firm, strong political sensibility. Um, and saying we should be glad to be gay in 1978 is a very, very powerful statement. Just a point of clarification, that illness they're talking about at the start of this, mm-hmm. uh, some listeners might think, oh, that, that's AIDS. But no, 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 it's way too early for AIDS. Yeah. That's actually the psychiatric illness of, of homosexuality. Yeah, it? it's that, you know, um, what's <laughs> really interesting about the history of... Mm. Uh, kind of the, the treatment, I guess, um, or perspectives about male homosexuality in particular is that the poli- you know the, the, it's criminalised in the middle of the twentieth century, um, and then medicalised quite soon after it, and, yeah. and, and medicalised as a disease, a psychiatric illness. Mm. Um, and so when 
activists in the 70s are trying to fight for what we what they would call gay liberation um they're trying to be liberated both from criminalization but also from medicalization yeah, as well yeah exactly the, back to the march when did it become an, uh, a national event so the, so it begins in in 78 as you say mm-hmm. with and then we have this you know all this police action, uh, they decided to stage it again the following year. Didn't mm. they? Yeah, and partly because of the pers- like because oh. of the response, really. Yeah. So what happens then the next year? Yeah, so it becomes an annual event, and you know, almost by the early eighties, eighty two, eighty three, you see it getting referred to as a tradition already. Yeah. That's yeah. A, it's only five years old, but it's a tradition. <laughs> so it's kind of becomes central to kind of queer life very quickly, yeah. um, and the numbers grow. And so by the late 80s or so, there's about 100,000 people coming along to either watch or participate in the parade. Um, and that number increases and increases and increases. And by the mid-90s, it's kind of about 500,000 and, and keeps growing. It becomes a national event, what, pretty much when ABC TV decides to televise Yeah, it. so it's becoming a national event over the course of those numbers mm. increases. Um, a lot of those visitors are from interstate. Um, and I think you can think about it as a national event in two ways. Like, it's a national event for queers. It's part of their world. Mm. Or an event watched with by the wider nation. And Hey Hey at Saturday in the early 90s is doing live crosses to the parade. Um, and then in, in 94, ABC makes the incredibly brave decision actually at that point, um, not to broadcast live, but to broadcast highlights from the parade the next day on Sunday night. They cop a lot of flack from that. I do. Um, quite a lot of flack mm. from federal, from Commonwealth politicians, in fact. Um, uh, some some of those um, federal MPs try and stop the broad- broadcast. They write to David Hill and say, please don't broadcast this. It's not appropriate viewing. Um, but the ABC sticks to their guns and um, then eventually um, starts to broadcast live. And there's a whole debate about whether it should be broadcast live or not because they, they're a bit worried, you know, people are a bit worried about what they might see. Because, you know, the parade is pretty fun. It's, it's, mm. it's pretty edgy. There's lots it's, of fun stuff there. It's, a, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's a sort of event, actually, which you think, I mean, given all the politics in the queer community mm. generally, I mean, about what it should be. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's the same politics you find everywhere else, which is, you know, there are people who want it to be more radical, there mm-hmm. are people who want it to be more fun or less fun or whatever, mm-hmm. or more political, and, and, and here it goes. It's kind of... Uh, a testament to something that it actually has survived and, well, not, and not imploded, if you know what I mean, uh, with its warring sub-factions in a way. Look, our research, and I'm doing this research with a colleague of mine at Macquarie, Michelle Arrow, we started out with a question about, you know, we noticed that that constant refrain happening every year, it's not as radical as it used to be or whatever, you know, that something had been lost. Hmm. And what we found... What's said every year. Yeah. <laughs> actually, what we found is that that started to be said in 1980. Yeah. So <laughs> that actually is an argument or a discussion or a debate around what is the most important question for queer politics now? What should this parade be? That conversation is actually part of Mardi Gras. Hmm. Mardi Gras is that conversation. It, and, and because it's an annual event, it means we return to that conversation every year. So that's part of what makes it productive. We, we come back again and again and again to ask these questions. What's more important, politics or belonging? Hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, you, know, you, you also get the, you know, what's all the fuss about anymore? I mean, it's, you know, it's, mm. it's all, all these debates are over now. It's mm-hmm. fine to be queer. Everyone knows that. It's, you know, um, just get on with life. Yeah, look, I what think... What are we having a parade for? Yeah, I think, well, that's not borne out. That's a very uneven story, you know, across Australia, and I think that's one of the things mm. we should remember. Um, and, look, I do think there was a sense of 
um, a conclusion to the story of gay and lesbian politics with the, equi- the achievement of same-sex marriage. But Mardi Gras isn't only about um, gays and lesbians. It's about gender and sexual diversity more broadly mm. um, and some of the issues and difficulties faced by other sexual minorities and other gender-diverse folk are really sharp. Um, and something like Mardi Gras offers a space to think about those kinds of questions as well, I think. So there's some pressing concerns that are still around. All right. Lee Boucher has been my guest. He's an historian with Macquarie University, writing a history of the marches, 44 continuous years, argued about every year. Lee, terrific. When's the book coming out? So, um, (laughs) (laughs) never ask an author when the book's coming out until they've finished it. I'm doing this with some colleagues. We're hoping we'll finish it off towards the middle of next year. And this is part of a much broader kind of study that we're doing of gender and sexuality and citizenship in Australia. So keep your eyes out. All right. Let's go out with a bit of Tom Robinson again. This is an updated version of uh, his song, Seeing If You're Glad To Be Gay, and with a message for The Times. Read how disgusting we are in the press In the news of the screws and the Sunday Express Molesters of children, corrupters of youth It's there in the paper, it must be the truth See if you're glad to be gay You know what, I can see a few people wondering Shall I join in? Oh, sure, I shall see so let me just say, to sing on the chorus of this song, you don't necessarily... <laughs> you don't necessarily have to be glad. <laughs> in my thirties, I fell in love with someone of the wrong sex again. And the Sunday people ran a bloody headline that went, Britain's number one gay in love with girl Parker. <laughs> Shock horror, man sleeps with woman. <laughs> Who knows what's coming next? <laughs> be yourself, be proud of whoever you are. Don't let anyone tell you. There you are. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Yes, Tom Robinson, Lee Boucher, good luck with it and uh, thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure, thanks very much. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.